So there's a lot of things that we're going to hear, including using the name of Jesus, Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. If you could distill the misunderstanding, the heresy, whatever you want to call it, if you can distill that down, like at the core, what happens when an individual starts gravitating towards this? Where where does the error begin to form okay. in their theology? We sometimes call him the globe-trotting Oscar Navarro. And recently, friends, we let Oscar globe-trot a bit. Oscar NRB. What's that? Flat I want to point out... Flat Earthers are going to be upset with that introduction. With globe-trotting? <laughs> Seriously, there are I flat know. Earthers around the world. We oh, we're going to get the emails. You know what? I did this beautiful post about the you know God's creation, and I said the, the globe, and what would you expect about flat earthers to get on my Facebook page and start comment? I'm like, well, actually, I'm like, come on, you people. Okay, flat Toronto, tell I us I do what want to point out that there was two conferences in which we needed to attend. One of them was in sunny, beautiful, palm tree-filled Southern California where Easy and Mark got to go to. Where righteous, holy people go. And I got sent to freezing, rigid, snow blowing in your face where sinners deserving of punishment go <laughs> i got i got the there are no flies the cold. in cold weather just be thankful <laughs> that's true <laughs> they've got the right side oscar. they've got that good sense to leave yeah. yeah so we sent oscar out and about and he went to nrb national religious broadcasters and uh he did a really cool interview and so you talk to a, a brother who deals with hebrew israelites that's kind of well, they're not new, but they have definitely been surging yeah. and growing. And uh, Ray, you're a Hebrew Israelite. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> what, from the Cohen family? <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, what is tell this? Us, Ray, please. Oh, I, please snuck, in, I snuck into a, a synagogue in New York for a television program, which we didn't use the footage. I had this spy camera. Where was it? <laughs> Tied somewhere anyway. No, you know what it was. It was a hat. You know what it, it was. was in the hat. Was, was it? it the hat or the glasses? It was glasses. That's oh, right. It was a no, spy camera and glasses. Nightmare glasses. Yeah, and I went in and I sat in there just to see what went on in the synagogue. And um, the guy... <laughs> The, the the guy says, we want someone to come up and do the rites or whatever they do. And he says, any Cohen's in here? And I put my hand up and says, I had an uncle that was a Cohen. He says, you'll do. And he got me up. And, and then they found out that I was a Christian and kicked me out. Well, it was my fault. I yeah. gave one of the kids. Well, it's kind of the same scenario when you went and saw the psychic with uh, Kirk. You oh, were yeah. your undercover glasses there and you're treating your glasses as a jib. Oh. Yeah. Moving very slowly. But these yeah. glasses, they're like... They're, they're, it's like a windshield. Yeah. They're well, huge. This, they're like this, so we're, talking, we're talking 15 years yeah, ago when technology they, was they different. Became, oh, this yeah. is, I was picturing the Google Glass. No, no, no. It was nothing Before like that. that, that Massive. Was, there's like a giant camera roll behind yeah. it. <laughs> and you know Ray, right? His nostrils flare when he's up to something. So always, his, his always. nostrils are like six feet in diameter. <laughs> he's out. sweating. And, and he's like, and you know, and when he's filming too, he's like, instead of just being chill, he's like moving his head and like <laughs> <laughs> trying to get the right angle. Yeah. So how do we get to that? Yeah. Uh, well, like, so oh, there yeah. I was at the NRB, uh, Eddie Roman, Miguel and I all went out there and we brought with us some recording gear in, in the hopes of, of capturing some really good interviews. And we did. We got a few. One of them was a gentleman named R.L. Solberg, which wrote a book called... Jewish? I don't know. I didn't know. Like Solberg it. kind of sounds, sounds like, like it. it. Anything with Berg, usually. That's mm-hmm. true. Uh, didn't they sink the Titanic? 
Oh, that was an iceberg. Never mind. <laughs> uh, he wrote a book called Torahism. Are Christians required to keep the law of Moses? And Torahism is a phrase that he coined. Uh, essentially, what he saw is all over the internet, there are individuals who claim to be Christian who are demanding that Christians keep certain old Jewish ordinances. Mm. You might have seen this on the internet. It could be as little as somebody refusing to use Jesus's name. Mm. Uh, well, they'll say Yeshua. Yeshua, say right, Jesus, and right. they'll condemn you for that. Or there are people who are adamant about keeping Saturday as a Sabbath as opposed to Sunday. Another one would be uh, keeping the old traditions like celebrating Passover. Yeah. And so he began to interact with these individuals, and out of it came this book, Torahism. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because all of us here, and except maybe you, Oscar, we all have some kind of connection with the Jewish Culture, All of us do except you and Mark and uh, no, Oscar. I mean you're and you're you're, you're, Laura's you're Jewish. Jewish. Mark's wife, Tribe Levi, is of a so Jewish all my background. Kids are Jewish because yeah, this or her. I'm an Arab. My son's name is Levi. Oh, and my dad has two. We found out my dad has two percent Jewish in him. <laughs> Don't tell an Arab that. Uh, so uh, that's so anyway. just as that's just yeah. Well, a... Oscar, you have a son named Levi. That's it. Yeah, oh, I'm that's, in. We're connected. <laughs> your dad's scalp is Jewish. Just two percent. Yeah, the two percent. That's right. So look. Uh, this is an important subject, and for those of you listening, don't tune out because you're thinking, "Come on, what do what do I need to know about Hebrew Israelites?" But you're you're probably eventually going to get in contact with someone who has this perspective, this perspective, or at least uh, some remnants of it that that, that have influenced them, and you want to be equipped and ready to be able to minister to them. You know, when I started listening to the recording, I was a little skeptical. This is going to be a bit dry, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, good. I really did. Yeah. So. Great. All right. Well, without any further ado, friends, uh, we won't be able to tell you this at the end, but just remember to connect with us. Send us any questions or thoughts or comments to podcastlivingwaters.com and make sure to rate the program and all those other good things. So without any further ado, here is Oscar and our brother talking about the Hebrew Israelites on the Living Waters podcast with eddie roman oh my goodness i thought there was going to be no further ado <laughs> no, yeah no, a this is a lot ado. of ado it's by the way ado. further ados for the hebrews and jews all right <laughs> there it dear. is all right guys welcome i am oscar navarro and with us today at the nrb conference by the way in case you were wondering why there's so much noise behind me you will be hearing that throughout this entire interview because we're right in the middle of a uh, gigantic hallway of awesomeness here in Nashville, Tennessee. I am with Eddie Roman, our That's wonderful me. producer. That's him. We yes. don't need any introduction. We know okay. who you are. Edward. Move on. Move on. Nobody cares. Along with us, we also have a special guest today, R.L. Solberg, also known as Rob. Rob, man, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Rob, you recently, is it recent? How long ago did you write this book? 2019. The, the story that's pretty is, recent, yeah. since like the last two years are like an anomaly for most human beings. No kidding. Uh, you wrote a book called Torahism, Are Christians Required to Keep the Law of Moses? And that's what we want to talk to you about today. But before we get into that book, tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, who you are, and uh, what you got going now, on right wait, now. Wait a minute. First things right. first, I don't think you pronounced that right. Did he pronounce the name of your book right? Uh, close enough. Torah? Torah okay. is actually the Hebrew way of saying it. Thank Whoa, you. Torahism okay. would be the English way. Yeah, you, I, you I think stand I did down. That on Torah accident? I stand down. Sorry, I'll just was, be over here saying nothing. That was, yeah, well well said. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, so well, I'm... At least uh, he validates me, by the way. You see what I have to deal with? <laughs> I always call it the Torah. You can call it the Torah in English. Okay, thank yeah. you. See? You just sound weird. Torah. 
Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that book is uh, my first book. I am a, uh, a professor of theology and philosophy at Williamson College here in, in Nashville and also an apologist and an author. I've got a couple books. I've got a YouTube channel. I, I kind of found myself drawn into the Hebrew, word, Hebrew roots, Torah observant wing, so to speak, of Christianity um, just through some friends. And so it's not a, I've been interested in apologetics and things for years, but it wasn't, it was the section God told me this is for you yeah. rather than me going, I, I want to do that. Right on. So he led me there. Maybe in helping us define, because I know that Torahism is sort of a, a, a phrase that you've coined. Uh, and I love that you opened the book with this very um, relatable story about this online interaction that you had with a friend that introduced you into why you ended up writing the book. So maybe you can start by defining what you mean by Torahism by telling us that story. Sure, sure, yeah. So that's, uh, uh, now I come to refer to that as walking through the back of the wardrobe and suddenly nice. into a whole other world I'd never I seen. I love any C.S. Lewis reference, right. by the way, okay. so you're, you're on Good. the right page. I'll do a bunch of half-correct re- half quotes for you as okay. we chat. Um, so what had happened was, uh, several years ago, just cruising around on Facebook, checking my friends' feeds, whatever, and and I see this, and maybe you guys have seen these memes that talk about Christmas being pagan, right? Yep. And I've seen them a lot. I've interacted with lots of folks that don't believe like I do, which is fine. But then I went, wait a second, I know that guy. He's my buddy, uh, and he's a Christian. What's going on? That was very strange for me. So I kind of do- dove in. I'm like, hey, man, what's what's going on here? Why, you know, what's, why the pagan stuff? And boy, did I got it with both barrels. Yeah. So... Long story short, it turned into a very extremely rare literary genre called uh, fruitful Facebook discussion. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not possible. I didn't it? think so either, but uh, he's a god of anything. Okay. So it literally it turned into about a thirty-five thousand word Whoa. back and forth. And it got to the point where yeah, <laughs> it, it got to the point where I was copying, copying and pasting into a word document just so I could kind of process. He would bring up these crazy things that I, you know, Christmas being pagan was, which is one thing I'm like, but we're celebrating the birth of Christ. So anyway, long story short, I, 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 I ended up writing a few blog articles addressing certain things. And a pastor friend of mine said, you know what? We've got that problem at our church. It'd be cool if you turn this into a book. So, which I had never thought of before. So I ended up doing that, um, fleshing it out, you know, kind of, and, and Torahism is really, like you said, it's a term I coined because there isn't one out there for this umbrella of beliefs, belief systems that simply say the one common thread is that Christians, so followers of Christ are required to keep the law of Moses, meaning all the old Testament law, the, the, the feasts, the kosher food, uh, all that kind of stuff. So most often people will hear it called Hebrew roots. Yeah. Uh, people call themselves often Torah keepers, Torah observant Christians. I've even had some folks call themselves Messianic Christians. But it, it's all centered around the idea that Christians today need to keep the entire law of Moses. This is such a great topic, and I'm so glad you wrote the book. So I, I initially heard you on a podcast, and I was drawn in simply because we do a lot of street witnessing. And recently, I've noticed more and more that people will get all upset. Christians will get upset because... I'm using the name Jesus and not uh, Yeshua whoa, whoa, or, whoa, language. Or, or some other some other derivative of name that I've never even heard before, and that becomes a big deal. Yeah. And then I could think back over the years. There's been times when I've been uh, evangelizing, and a Christian has come up, and they're they're you know encourage me and you know befriending me, and then within ten minutes they're rebuking me for not keeping the Sabbath and not keeping the festivals. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, before your book, there was never anything you could go to and say, okay. Here's how you answer these questions, and it's just a very 
I don't know. It just it just seems like it's this this fringe thing that's becoming not so fringe anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, social media makes everything that it's is true. actually fringe become like center stage. Right. Oh, and yeah. we see that. We see that. So so if anybody's never interacted with it, you you probably will notice on social media posts like we see it all the time where somebody will mention Jesus' name but he won't use his name as he writes it out or you know, we did a, a show an episode on Christmas and we got a couple emails from people who were like don't you know so there's a lot of things that we're going to hear including using the name of Jesus Christmas etc cetera, etc cetera. if you could distill the misunderstanding the heresy whatever you want to call it if you can distill that down like at the core what happens when an individual starts gravitating towards this, where where does the error begin to form okay. in their theology? Well, so what's interesting is 100% of, of what I call Torahists, and I need to add that that's not a derogatory term. It's like calling someone a Jew or a Christian. It's just labeling their belief system so we understand where they're coming from. So 100% of the Torahists I've talked to are Gentiles. There's, there are no Jewish people who would say, who would take this position. I've got friends that are Messianic Jews, a local congregation here in Nashville, and they're like, Gentiles were never under the covenant. Why would someone possibly think they need to be keeping the law of Moses? Um, so what happens is, I think, and I'm going to give them a lot of credit because I feel like most of them are very um, sincere in their search for truth. And they're, they're thinking to themselves, I want to go deeper. I want to understand the ancient sense of my faith. Now, why they do that, I've got some theories I have that I've not confirmed, but I think part of it is some of the uh, lightweight, shallow Christian teachings that are can become popular and i'm not saying everyone does this but you've seen it before it's the it's the it's the self-help sermon rather than the so i feel like there's a little That's bit of a, the way i preach bro what are you talking about right. I'm just help yourself <laughs> well then i apologize yeah so there, there's a sense though when you go to that you're thinking something's missing there's there's some weight to my faith missing so they want to dig into the scriptures and they end up going too far and they end up uh missing the mark and assuming that everyone that that follows Jesus, Yeshua Hamashiach, right? He was the Jewish Messiah who, who taught in synagogues and all that stuff. So there is some very, there's a very proper way to understand and respect the biblical Jewish roots of the Christian faith. We do not want to reject any of that. They just go too far. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's almost like a pendulum swing because you make a really good point, which is that often Christianity is presented in Western culture as like all of a sudden, boom, it appeared 2,000 years ago with Jesus. Right. When in reality, especially as you read the New Testament, you see that it's so uh, interwoven into the story that's being told in the Old Testament. And right. so really to understand a deep, rich, theologically sound Christianity, you do have to to, to realize what the, the story of uh, the Jewish people were specifically to the Old Testament. But what you're yeah. saying is these guys go on a pendulum and, and go completely the other way. Right. So I remember years ago as a Christian going to my first Seder dinner. Now, is it Cedar or Seder? Seder, yeah. Because I seem to be good at messing up these, these names. But I remember going to it and think, that's really cool. I just learned a whole lot of cultural stuff yeah. that, that now it makes sense more. But I remember other friends getting so into it and then next thing you know, some of these guys are going to a Messianic congregation. And the next thing you know, they're telling me to come to the Messianic congregation. And the next thing you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm in sin because I'm not following all the laws, basically. Right. That's, the, that's the thing. That's where, so there is a good amount, and it's allowed. So the phrase that I like to use is it's permitted but not required. 
Uh, in other words, the Mosaic traditions. If you want to keep Saturday Sabbath, if you want to eat kosher, there's nothing prohibiting you from doing that, but it's not required. Right. And where they cross the line is where they do what you just said, where they, they start saying it's required. You're living in sin because you don't keep the Saturday Sabbath. Yeah. Even though the Bible doesn't say Saturday, it says work six days, rest on the seventh. But and anyway. So yeah. where where do the, what, what, what exegetical or theological error, uh, where does that begin? How does that happen? love to give things away we love to give things away and that's why we will do that every single day here on the living waters podcast that's right friends we're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form we are giving 10 believe it or not 10 different people each week Goodies from Living Waters, a $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Well, here's what's the interesting part. I would, for many years, I was searching for that silver bullet. Like, I want to find that piece of scripture that you really can't argue with that can kind of take the legs out from under this idea that we're required to keep all these things. And the funny thing is, I found lots of those, right? And so I brought, oh, Acts 15. They didn't, no one was requi- required to keep the law of Moses at the Jerusalem Council. I mean, there's a bunch of them. That's all the stuff I write about and make videos about. But, I totally miscalculated where it was coming from on the part of the believer. So it's, it's not an intellectual thing where they like just kind of did their sums wrong and came up with the wrong conclusion. And if we point out how, what they got wrong, they'll fix it. It's, they have a spiritual and a emotional commitment to what they're doing, which hmm. is why there's so much division. And what, uh, what proof texts do they tend to go to? Like if, I'm, oh. if I get into an interaction with somebody online, what could I expect to see in regards to them referencing parts of the Bible? The, probably the most popular is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. You know, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, not one jot or tittle will fade away. So what's really difficult, and this is what makes it so hard, and this is why my friends around me, like, so my first people that I was engaging with on Facebook, I'm, we're going back and forth, and I didn't even think about it, but there's a bunch of, there's other people reading the conversation. So this couple who I was engaging with, they're, sibling, one of their siblings, one of their neighbors reached out to me, you know, behind scenes and said, thank you so much. We don't know what to say. They're saying all this stuff and it sounds kind of right, but we sense that it's wrong. So when they come with these proof texts like Matthew 5, um, there's, and also walk as Jesus walked, that's another popular one, 1 John. Um, There's a sense of, it's not an easy button to, to hit to suddenly explain it. I mean, that some of this stuff, you have to go deep. Which is, why, which is why my book ended up becoming a book and why I've actually got some other stuff coming out soon that talks about, okay, we need to be patient. We need to, we need to approach the word and get into it. And biblical literacy is a huge thing for me right now because that's how people, good, good well-meaning Christian Gentiles who were reading their Bible suddenly ended up way over here. Why? It's, it's the biblical literacy thing. So when we, when we engage with some of their proof texts, I typically will want to step back and go, okay, that's what that text says. Let's look at it in context. And, that's, and that becomes a longer conversation and people get bored. And Yeah. So you know. what would be, okay, so I'm, I'm online and someone throws out Matthew 5. How would you respond to that? Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would send them links to some of my blog articles. <laughs> 
Uh, it's a hard thing to respond to quickly. But so the general idea is to understand the nature of the law and Jesus' relationship to the law. One of the big things that Hebrew roots Torahist people miss is the fact that, you know, hey, I'm walking as he walked. Jesus kept Torah. I'm going to keep Torah, etc., etc. Well, are you Jewish? So that's the first question. The law of Moses was given to Israel to set her apart from the Gentile nations around right. her, right? I mean, they, God didn't expect Babylon to eat kosher or, or Assyria to be circumcised or any of that. So, I mean, if, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that was like the holiness laws to say, these are my people. They're my holy nation. So, first of all, if you're not a, a Jew, then you need to step back and go, well, if Jesus kept the Torah, and there's, we can get into lots of other reasons— and he was Jewish. First thing, okay, are you Jewish? No? Okay, well then, maybe you don't need to do that. He was also a carpenter. Are you going to be a carpenter? You know? Yeah, yeah. So there comes that point of trying to figure out exactly where, what does it mean to walk like Jesus walked? And I've got all these proof texts. I've got um, detailed exegesis about what I believe is really being said in that, in that area. Um, and so you end up talking kind of in circles, though, because the typical tourist, will, they've got a pre-commitment to the fact that the law is still binding. And so any text they want to look at, they're going to read it from that direction. Sure. You know? So what if someone said something like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not, we're not Israel uh, in the Old Testament, but we still need to keep ourselves pure and separate from the cultural traditions, and we should not accept pagan ideas. I mean, that, I think that separate from this conversation, we wouldn't disagree with, but then that applied to this conversation, we yeah. go, well, hold on a second. So how would you interact with that when it comes to to these individuals. I would think that they use a lot of that kind of talk to reinforce their ideas, you know? Yeah, yeah, they do. So I would respond to that by saying, amen. The first thing I want to do with anybody is to find the parts where we agree. Absolutely, we should be set apart from the world. That's very much of a New Testament, New Covenant concept as well. But things like Christmas and Easter, those are, we're coming up on Easter season. Those are so popular to say that's pagan. And, And what Taurus believe is that because we're still under the law of Moses, we're supposed to keep the seven Torah feasts, the annual feasts, and only those, because God gave us those feasts, and how dare you keep a man-made holiday with all pagan. So you have to start teasing things apart. The first thing I'll say is, I agree with you that Easter bunnies and eggs have nothing to do with Easter. Yeah, that's, that's fertility spring <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so it breaks my heart, the commercialization and secularization right. of, of these two things. So first thing I want to do is set that aside and say, now let's talk just about the Christian celebration of the resurrection. Is that right or wrong? Well, it's man-made. It's not in the Bible. Granted, that's true. Did you know that Jesus celebrated the Feast of Dedication, which, which we know today as Hanukkah? John 10, 22 and 23, Jesus is in Jerusalem, in the temple, at the Feast of Dedication, Man-made holiday not given in the Torah. So yeah, Jesus can do man-made holidays, so can we, as long as they aren't offensive to God or anti-biblical, obviously. But if you want to talk about the Christian celebration of Easter, what are we doing? We're singing praises, we're remembering, we're reading the holy word of God about literally the most important day in human history, that Jesus split history in two, right? Right. So let's, and I even go this far sometimes, wouldn't it be odd not to celebrate that? As a Christian, as a Christ follower, the thing that Paul says, if it's not true, our faith is in vain. It's pretty biblical. It's very psalm-like of us to stop and remember. Zakar is the Hebrew word. Remember what God's done for us. And that's the biggest thing he's ever done. 
So, so I think there's room for agreement to go, hey, I also disagree with uh, elves and Santa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still wait, 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 wait. Yeah, <laughs> that those are bad. But so they they'll also say things like you know in the Torah it says you should not supposed to cut down a tree and adorn it with gold and silver. Okay, well, did you read the whole passage? It's about cutting down a tree and carving it into an idol, right? And painting it and worshiping it. So yeah, you know I can I think agree with that. One of, so in our we did a podcast recently on uh, proper exegetical analysis of the scriptures. And one of the things that's valuable to take into consideration is something that you just alluded to, which is that we are in the new covenant now. Yeah. So for those who don't know what that means, it's valuable to understand that God is never changing. He's always the same. However, in his sovereignty, he has chosen to interact with his people in various ways. Yes. At various times through history, starting from the garden, he interacted with Adam and Eve pre-fall in a very different way than he acted with them post-fall. And so what you see are these various covenants all throughout the scriptures. Right. Uh, and then in the New Testament, we get this all this, this new covenant that we find in Christ, which, which completely changes the way that we interact with all of the Old Testament laws. Right. And that is an important framework of understanding how to read the Old Testament and how to interact. And so I would say this, if I could summarize like, okay, so what about the Old Testament and what about those Old Testament laws? How do we interact with them? I would say those Old Testament laws are, imagine it like this. Imagine that I said, Eddie, you've got dirt on your face. And Eddie, to prove that this was true, walked up to a mirror and looked at his face and he saw, I do have dirt on my face. But then he just ended it there and he just walked away from the mirror, assuming that seeing the dirt on his face through the mirror meant that he was clean from the dirt, right? The law is meant to be this mirror to help us see that we are dirty. But under the new covenant, the covenant of Christ, or in, that we find in Christ, we are washed clean. So that's the work of the law and then the work that we find in Christ and how we interact with that. Would you, how that's would you a, add to that? That's a fabulous an- anal- or analogy, yeah. So I, what I do is I've got a framework that I call principle and expression, very similar to what you've said, is that there is an unchanging law of God, right? God is unchanging, but his people change. Mm-hmm. We gr- we've grown over time to know more about him because he's revealed more about himself over time. And also, he's taken activity, he's taken action in the world. So if we want to say that the new covenant is identical to the old covenant, then what did Jesus do? Was there no, there's no reason for him to show up? So one of the analogies I give in a recent video I made on my YouTube channel was the idea of blood atonement, right? So as soon as the fall happened, God's unchanging principle of blood atonement for sin began... And he, we see it first a little hinted at in the garden, right? When, when, God, when God clothed them with the skin of animals. Mm-hmm. So there's yep. this little hint of bloodshed because of the sin. The first bloodshed. Right. And then you, have, then you have Passover, which happened before the law was given, just before the law was given, where there needed to be blood put on the door. Then you have the temple laws, where there's actual blood sacrifices. And then to Christ, right? So, so in a sense, we can say we still have a sacrifice today. But it's an eternal sacrifice. Hebrews 10.10 says once for all. So we're under that sacrifice, that eternal sacrifice, but there's still blood. You know, because like, like we read in Leviticus, I think 17.11, that, that, that the life is in the blood and I've given it to you for atonement. So now we're under Christ's blood. But to your point, it's expressed differently. Never changed. God still is requiring that, but he fulfilled it himself. So why would we go back? Because a lot of the Hebrew Roots folks will say, when the temple's rebuilt, they're assuming a, a real physical temple will be rebuilt. Then the, even one t- told me that there were beautiful animal sacrifices will be renewed. 
And I was like, beautiful. Those were a bloody reminder of our sin. You know what I mean? These are the scapegoats for the things we've done wrong. So if we, if we can't accept Christ's atonement, um, then we've thrown everything away. You know what I mean? And so then you run into this. See, there's another bulletproof. I would say that to somebody and they go, okay, yeah, the atonement's different, but I'm saying, okay, so the law of Moses has changed? No, it's unchanging. You can't add to it or take away from it. Because they say well, it's eternal, that. right? Yeah. They, they'll say the law is eternal. Right. And what's interesting about that is, you know, in, in Islam, they say something similar. They say the Quran is eternal. And they years, even say it's past eternal. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but years ago in Islam, there was, there was this big debate to where uh, uh, a lot of Muslim scholars were debating with these other Muslim scholars and saying, if only God is eternal, how can this book be eternal too? And mm, it caused yeah. this big thing. And, and basically a whole lot of people got killed over it. They, oh, no, one was, no one was allowed to talk about it for like years and years and years. And now, you know, recently it's, it's something they talk about again, but, th- but that's a, that's a conundrum for them. Right. Uh, you know, if yes, God's eternal, but how can this other thing be eternal? I would imagine they might say something along the lines of, well, you know, it's, it's part of his character and his character is eternal. So that's why it's eternal. Like yeah. That, that kind well, of thing. and that's valid, I think. Yeah, it is yeah. Eternal, eternal to a degree. Right. But we inter, in the way in which we interact with it because of the different covenants, right. our response to it looks very different. Yeah. And when they say eternal, they mean it, it never ends. It's still the never same. Never changes, as, right. As back, it never changes. That's still the same. So, the, yeah. So both Paul and the Torah say that the law of Moses, which is what we're talking about, again, they'll... they'll They'll equivocate on Torah and Law of Moses and use those terms interchangeably, but it's important to keep those separate. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, sacred scripture, were under its authority. You know, the Law of Moses is a subset of the of the Torah. It, we see it given in the Torah, the six hundred thirteen mitzvot and all that. But the Torah is so much more than just the Law of Moses. So when they say we have to keep the Law of Mo- or they have to keep Torah, keep Torah is what they're kind of the phrase. They mean keep the Law of Moses and the Law of Moses started at a certain time, Mount Sinai, about 1500 BC, right? So it had a beginning point, so it's not past eternal. But then they'll say, well, no, it continues on forever. And then then we need to start digging in. You can't have a really quick answer for that. But I think our my principle and expression framework, which is similar to what you said, says, like Galatians 3, 24, 25, the law was given as a guardian until Christ would come. And now that Christ is here and we're under faith, we're no longer under the law in that sense. But also at the same time, and this is what causes confusion, and you kind of brought it up, all scripture is God-breathed, right? So, so we don't throw away the law of Moses and say it's done with, it's gone, it has no more use for us. It's still the mirror that you mentioned. It's still a way, Paul says, I wouldn't have known how covetous I was had I not had the law to teach me that or to show me that. So that's, it's not to be done away with, but we aren't under it legally. Yeah. So how would you recommend somebody properly interact, practically speaking, interact with, with the Old Testament laws? What, what does that look like? Well, certainly, you know, you go to the old moral and ceremonial categories, which aren't biblical, but that's fine. The, it, well, the phrases aren't biblical, but it's quite obvious when you've got a law dealing with mo- morality, murder, adultery, greed, all that kind of stuff. You mean the phrases ceremonial and the phrase, the, the, the way people use to describe them, that's right. not in the Bible. Yeah, those terms aren't in the Bible, okay. but the concepts are. Right. Right. So here's what's interesting. The moral laws of the Old Testament are repeated, retaught, and endorsed in the New Covenant. So you read your New Covenant, you're going to learn you're not supposed to murder or steal or covet or commit adultery or all that stuff. 
what you don't learn, what Jesus never tells us is to bring your sacrifice to the temple or make sure you get to all the feasts every year or make sure you eat kosher. Matter of fact, Mark seven nineteen, he says all foods are clean. So when you see some things have changed and some things haven't, we know that I think the most generous way to say it would be parts of the law of Moses have ended slash been fulfilled. You got to be careful with your words because if you say anything close to done away with, then you get, they get mad. But I like the word fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled that stuff for us. He, we're, he, we are now the temple. We don't need the physical temple. You know what I mean? We're, we, he was our sacrifice. So now we're told, use, uh, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we still have sacrifices. We still have a temple. There's ways to take those Old Testament laws into our Christian life today, our Christ-following new covenant life, and understand where they came from. Matter of fact, was it Augustine, I think, that said the, the, new, the old is in the new revealed, and the new is in the old concealed. So it's an, it's an unending story. It's a, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's so interesting because this is so woven into all of our theological understanding. I mean, you just use the phrase temple, which makes me think of, of like the, the theological story behind temple, right? Like in, you have the first temple is really in the garden with Adam and Eve, right. and it was God with them. And then you've got the nomadic Jews roaming through the desert, and uh, they, the temple was in a tent. And that was God's dwelling place, place. And then they get to the promised land, and they build a permanent tabernacle. And it says that he like he dwelt with them. Another phrase is he tabernacled. He's right. literally with them. But then in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the temple. And they are furious about that claim, right? Especially when he says, like, I'm going to tear this down and, and rebuild it in three days. They're like, how dare you? They thought he was talking about the actual temple. But here's the thing that's important for everyone to realize as we're talking about this conversation, which is that after Jesus's resurrection and beyond, the scripture shifts from talking about Jesus as the temple to talking about the church as his temple. And we are living stones, first Peter, in which we make uh, uh, spiritual sacrifices. So now all three, and, and literally every time the New Testament mentions the temple, post Jesus ascension, it is talking about the church right. and it's living stones. And so to that alone is like, so the, the Old Testament tells us to make sacrifices in the temple. Yes, that law is tr- true still, but it's transformed in the covenant of Christ in that the temple is no longer a place in Israel, but our bodies right. and the sacrifices that we make now are not bloody lambs, but a bo- broken and contrite heart. Yes. Amen. Right? That's w- really well said. And you didn't finish the story at the end of days, right? The final eschatological end, God's going to dwell with his people again. Once more. So the temple, the Edenic temple concept is going to happen again at the end. And I think it's Revelations 21, 20 says there won't be a temple because the lamb and the father are the temple. That's good. So whether or not that means there's going to be a physical temple, I don't, I try not to get hung up on that, but right, I, right, know, right. I know it means the old concept of temple. The, the point of him dwelling with us right. is, yeah. is the main point, whether it's a physical place or not. Yeah, that's really uh, good. It's so amazing to go through scripture and see those. And you don't get to catch that typology and those themes developing if you reject the Old Testament. Right. So this is why I think we need to embrace it. For sure. And and I think, to your point earlier, embracing it through the lens of Christ. Right. He really is our rubric to understanding the Old Testament. If you remove him from the Old Testament story, then you fall into these errors that we're right. talking about again. Yep. But when you apply him back in there, 
which he he himself says that you must do, right? Like we have to understand the Old Testament through Christ. It's always pointing towards what's going to happen on the cross. Right. Can you imagine being there when he was on the road to Emmaus? Was that Luke 24, I think? And he opened up the scriptures, the Psalms, the laws, yeah. the prophet, whatever, and he showed where he was in there? Yeah, he, dude. he said, this is, I'm all over this. You know, Moses knew me, all this stuff. And you start going, where? I want to go find that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I love that. Well, this is what yeah. floors me. Just listening to you guys, like everything you guys are talking about are, are just the normal things that a Christian would realize after going to church and being taught well and reading their Bible yeah. for a number of years. And so that's why it's this, this um, Torahism is so surprising to me because you, you encounter people and they, for some reason, they don't understand that Jesus is the sacrifice. He, he is right. the completion. And there's so much stuff in, in the New Testament about us no longer keeping the law. Like, it's so clear. Right. And then in Colossians 2, it talks about how the uh, festivals and the Sabbath were a shadow of things to come, but yep. the substance is Christ. And there's so, much, so many things that are so clear. And yet you encounter these people who know the Old Testament really well. Like they got it memorized. They got it down. I, I think part of the thing that's off-putting is that you're just kind of stunned. Right. Like you've, oh, been totally. going to, you've been going to church for how many, how many years and you don't know this? Like it's, it's just crazy. Well, things got twisted. So this is why I say it's, I think it's uh, an emotional and spiritual commitment that mm. they've made. So they have been in church and they maybe have been told those things, but there's a sense of, and not every tourist, but there is a prevailing pervasive sense of superiority. So you'll hear people talk down to the Torahist Hebrew roots folks talking down. I, get, I can't tell you how many letters I get, especially sadly from wives whose husbands have taken this up. I, like I sat down with a husband who wanted to move to Israel, leave his family and kids because he had to be make those three pilgrimage festivals that the, the Torah requires wow. every year. And I'm like, I don't Anyway, so the, the point is that when you sit down and talk to them, they know their Bible, but they know it through a strange lens yeah. that they almost don't. I think they don't see because I've never once heard anyone argued out of the Hebrew roots movement. Yeah. At least not in one fell swoop. Mm. It's a, it's a gradual, I hear stories from people. It's a gradual awakening. Wait a second. Okay. I don't understand how that works. And there's a little, like Greg Kokel says, I try to put the pebble in their yep, shoe yep, just good. so they're not quite comfortable with their beliefs. I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the best way I think to handle it. And here's the other thing just real quick. The people it's the, let's call them mainstream Christians just for, so we know what we're just, you know, Torahism and mainstream Christianity as general terms. Mainstream Christians often also get their backs up and they, and they get confused and they're offended. What are you talking about? I don't need to, who cares if I'm having pork, you know? So we need to, on our side, like Peter says, we need to approach the Torahist as with, with gentleness and respect, right? And we need to say, okay, I'm okay if you want to keep Saturday Sabbath and if you want to avoid shellfish or whatever, you can still be my brother in Christ as long as you're doing that as a personal expression and right. you confess Christ as the way to salvation. Not, you know, and so there's some, there's some, we don't have to be quite so confrontational sometimes, yeah. especially you know, if it's your daughter or your family member. What's or interesting about spouse. that is you tend to learn that if you're doing apologetics all the time, cause, cause you have to do that with Mormons, with atheists, you, you just got to be patient oh, yeah. and gracious. But a lot of times this movement creeps into churches and it hits Christians who, who don't talk, talk to a whole lot of unbelievers. And, right. and so it's just like this this crazy thing where they just don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah than, they're a little put back on their heels. Yeah, yeah. Bad, you know. It's, and it's, so uh, you can never go wrong with love, though. I, you know what I mean? So Good point. If, if you treat people respectfully and with love and 
That's good. I like that. Yeah. By the way, I reject the idea of me being mainstream Christian. I'd, I'd categorize myself you more alt rock Christian. There alt, you go. You're alt Christian. <laughs> alt rock. Alt rock. Uh, rapid fire, real quick, and then we'll close out this podcast because we're running short on time. Really re- appreciate you, Rob, uh, spending some time with us. And one more time for those who want to read more Torahism. Torahism. Torah-ism. If you're a, say it right. If you're mainstream Christian, <laughs> are Christians required to keep the law of Moses by R. L. Solberg. Uh, did I say your last name right? Perfect. Oh, praise God. You got a, you got a website. What's the website? RLSolberg.com. Awesome. Makes sense. You can get to my books and my YouTube channel from that website. Cool. So rapid fire, Rob. Has Christianity been corrupted? Not in the historical way that many Torahists claims, but there's, there's problems. I think we would be naive to say there's not some strains of progressive Christianity or other things that are kind of leading us away from the essence of the gospel, the self-sacrificing Servant gospel. That's good. Uh, rapid fire. Is Christmas a pagan holiday? Not the Christian celebration of Christmas, no. Why not? Because we are celebrating the birth of the Savior. We're reading from Scripture. We're singing songs to God. We're praising God. We're not worshiping Christmas trees. And if you are, knock it off. <laughs> uh, oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we, there's freedom in Christ to bring in some cultural... As long, again, as long as it's not anti-scriptural, as long as it doesn't dishonor God, to bring in some cultural traditions. You want to put a tree in, your, in the corner? Yeah, it's great. Uh, but this thing is about Jesus. It's about God, Yahweh incarnate. I mean, that's incredible. So if so, I'm singing songs about Jesus to Jesus, that's probably a good thing. Right. In the well, winter. that's the thing. is like who, you're, who your mind and heart is set on is who you're worshiping. Yeah, so if absolutely. So you're, if you're setting your heart and mind on Ishtar, then knock it off again. Ishtar. Yeah. Uh, okay, next, last question. Nope, second to last question. What is Jesus' name? You just used Yahweh. Yeshua. Yeshua. And why? I mean, so if I say Jesus, is that bad? No, it's the English version. Yeah. Okay. What about Lastly. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yes. Sure. Jesus works, yeah. uh, lastly, um, what can we do about, like, let's say that I start seeing that a loved one is um, starting to post things that seem like they're getting into this. Right. Uh, wh- what do I do? Where do I start? RLSolberg.com. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's not a quick answer. So I have to, and I don't make any money from, I'm even, okay. So my, even my second book, Divergence, I don't make money from this. A hundred percent of the profits are going to a uh, anti-Semitism campaign. Uh, right. stand, I think they're here. Stand with us. Awesome. Dude, that's awesome. So I don't, I'm not, I'm about helping people. So I'm not trying to promote material sales, but the answers are so nuanced that if you spend some time reading my, my blogs or looking through my videos, I think that'll be very helpful to at least understand where they're coming from and what the Bible says about yeah. some of their claims that they have. Uh, I did check out some of your YouTube videos too. They're super helpful. They're concise. They're like five, 10 minutes long. I try to keep them short. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super helpful. So that's a great place to start. You actually mentioned, sorry, bonus question, question. Ooh. Uh, Cause I think I read this in the book somewhere, which is the claim that Christianity is anti-Semitic, right. which is why we reject these things. How do you interact with that? Well, that's what my second book divergence is all about. It's about the first three centuries of the Christian faith. Was there anti-Jewish sentiment? that caused the split? And the answer is no, at least not within that time frame. You get post-Nicaea, so you know, late 4th century and on, there's problems with, with what Christians have done. And we've done many things in the name of Christ that Christ wouldn't approve of over history. So I want to own that. And I have, I have a debate coming up with the, with the rabbi. And so one of the things I want to do is make sure I own the fact that Christians haven't always been Christian-like, Christ-like to Jews. Let's own that. But also let's say, let's not judge a belief system by those who abuse it. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus and the Jewish New Testament authors and his Jewish disciples, you know what I mean? Nice. What do they have to say? So, 
There's awesome. no room for anti any ethnicity in Christianity. Amen. You know? That's good. R.L. Solberg, thank you so much, man. You guys can uh, learn more about what he's doing at rlsolberg.com. You can also look him up on YouTube. And uh, one more time, you can actually get his new book, which is called Divergence, Examining Jewish-Christian Relations in the Early Church. And you can get that on his website. Thank you so much, man, for joining us in the Living Waters Podcast. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.